And now, live from Atlanta, Georgia, everyone's social media friend, it's Deb Creer. Every week, Deb talks with the movers and shakers, the experts, the best of the best in social media, bringing you all of the latest tips, techniques, and trends for successfully using social media. In social media, there's only one constant, Deb Creer. Good morning, good morning, everyone. I am Deb Creer. I'm the socialite, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use social media as a tool to promote themselves and their businesses. And we're going to have so much fun today because we're talking about something that's a little bit different. But, you know, as always, we'll work social media back into this conversation. You know how I do this. So please join me in welcoming Clyde P. Riddlesbrood to today's program. Hello there. Thank you so much for having me on today, Deb. Great, great. Well, if you can't already tell, Clyde is an entertainer, and that's what's going to be so much fun about this. Um, So let me tell folks just a little bit about you. So Clyde grew up in the entertainment industry, working with his father at a dinner theater in South Jersey, and he started his own theater company in 2000. He has been personally in over 5,000 shows in his lifetime, and as a company, they have performed over 1,500 shows. Currently, Riddles Brood is one of the most successful and vibrant theater companies in, New, in the New York, New Jersey area, performing more than 150 murder mysteries and dinner theater shows per year at multiple locations. In addition to this, they produce three large Broadway-style shows for Arts on the Move, performing arts program for children and teens. Clyde has also written a book which illustrates how storytelling can impact a business brand for the positive. So again, Clyde, welcome. Hello there. Yes, I mean, I appreciate the the nice intro there. I <laughs> Well, you know, this is so much fun. And, and you know, in, in my former life, all through high school and all through college, I was a performer. And, you know, and I think to do what I still do, you have to be a performer. So this is so much fun. I love this. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, first, before we really jump into it, Tell us about your theater company and, and everything that you certainly, do. Certainly, certainly. Well, you know, we are a touring theater company in every sense of the word. So, you know, if you think back to the the ancient medieval days of uh, theater companies getting in their wagon and traveling from town to town, that's exactly mm-hmm. what we uh, aspire to do and what we do do. Um, so cool. instead of just doing shows at one little theater in some town, we take our show on the road. We do our murder mystery dinner theater shows and even some just general old uh, conventional shows. And we do banquet facilities, restaurants, um, you know, fire halls and uh, also community theater uh, uh, locations and venues pretty much all over New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Delaware, and even sometimes a little bit further away. So. Um, You know, our main thrust when we first began was to take theater, uh, especially comic improvisational theater, um, out Mm -hmm. of kind of the cities where not a lot of people really want to go and drive into the city all the time uh, and and bring that to where people live and breathe, which is more out in the suburbs. So um, that was really where we began. And and our brand is very unique and that it tends to be very improvisational, very spontaneous. Always, it's always the shows that we do are comedies. We interact with the audience. We get them laughing, having a great time. And a lot of times the audience is actually part of the show. Cool. 
See, and I would be one of those sitting in the front row becoming part of the show. I've been known to do that before. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the perfect kind of person that we like to have in the audience because we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get you up. We'll get you having a good time because we want the, want the audience to feel like they are a part of the show and they're experiencing a fun time that they'll be able to talk about and share on social media. Right. Well, and of course, social media, see, told you we'd bring it back in. Um, that's a great way for you to promote what you're doing because we all know that you know, we can say, hello, come to this great performance, blah, blah, blah. But the second somebody else says, oh, my gosh, I just saw this fabulous performance, it's, it is you know, without words, without value, because it is truly valueless to get somebody else to promote the program for you. Yeah, I mean, social proof. Mm -hmm. A very right. important part you know, of we, what we do is – oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you know, we, we do. We look at – somebody else you know we expect people to promote their own stuff but when somebody even somebody we don't know promotes it we're like oh well you know if if bob says it's great then i must i must automatically assume it's great well you know what like you said uh you know there's a, there's trust factor and it, when everybody expects mm -hmm. when they go to a business's website they expect that website to promote the business. So uh, there's kind of a – I wouldn't call it a lack of trust, but it's just kind of an expectation that you're getting right. a more puffed-up version of what it is. But when mm -hmm. you know a family member or a loved one or a good friend uh, gives you a call or emails you and says, you know, hey, you know, you got to catch these guys. These are really fun. You know, you you feel like you can trust that source and you're getting you know more accurate information, and that's why social media is so effective. Right. You know, and, and to really draw this in, what's important to remember is it doesn't matter if it's a touring theater company or a company that sells widgets or a restaurant or whatever. It's all about how to do the promotion. But of course, as a theater group, you are an expert at doing promotion. And, and so that's really why I wanted to have you on the program today. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I'm sure anyone that works in the entertainment industry can tell you is that it's probably one of the most difficult industries. Um, and and the, part right. of the reason is, is technically speaking, if you really boil it down, entertainment is not something that you absolutely need, like food or mm -hmm. a mechanic or, you know, a, a plumber right. to come out if your pipes are leaking. You, you can always do without that. So because mm -hmm. of that, you're, we, you know, people in this industry really have to know what they're doing and really hit those emotional um, buttons that people need to really get them excited about wanting to come out and see you or hire you for a private event, which is mostly what we do. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, and it's, it's interesting because like you said, you have to do it more. So what are your tips and techniques for really using social media to promote your theater company? Well, I would say probably one of the most important things is we, Try to talk more about our customers than we talk about ourselves. Uh, the idea being that we, one of the things that we want to try to really zero in on, especially at the performances, is that the audience, this is an experience that they are having. They are the star of the show just as much, if not more, than the actors. So it's all about right. them, not really all mm -hmm. about us, at least with regards to our social media. So. After a show, we always take a picture of the person who won the murder mystery. Uh, we always, if we do video, we usually show a funny video where we're interacting with the audience and making them feel special. Making them feel like, wow, they really all went out and shared a great experience together. So we try to make the people mm -hmm. feel like um, 
they're being told a story where they can see themselves in that story. So if, mm-hmm. if, if we're trying to promote something to a, a future client, a prospect, someone that we think should hire us, we want to tell a story uh, where they can feel that they are in the middle of it, that they're the hero of the story, they're the main character of the story, they're the everyman uh, or every woman in that story. Um, so you don't want to take pictures of your shiny new car. You don't want to take a picture of you know you being such a great actor. We want to take a picture that tells a story about the audience being the center of attention. Right. You know, and, and that's what a business needs to do. You know, the, the second we forget that and start just focusing on me, 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 or buy from me, buy from me, we lose our audience. And that's what so many people forget is they've got to tell those stories. And so that's what I love. You've, you've written a new book about storytelling. So tell us about that. Sure. Well, you know, our book uh, is called Riddles Brood, The Greatest Brochure in the World. And uh, it actually began as somewhat of an experiment. Uh, the idea mm-hmm. being like, you know, everybody gives away a brochure. But what if your right. brochure was special? What if your brochure was not just any brochure, but it was the key to some secret esoteric, you know, fantasy world that was so powerful and so great that, that it puts your business in the center of something magnificent. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's what it was. The idea was, is that, um, and it was even a little bit of a thought experiment. Uh, some of us were joking around one day and we were saying, you know, what if, what if, you know, before Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings, what if he actually had like a little sandwich shop, a mom and pop sandwich shop in some little town mm-hmm. in, in London or some little town in, in, in England? And, and, and he wrote Lord of the Rings and everything begins with people walking into the sandwich shop and, uh, you know, in the back room, there's a portal to another world. <laughs> Imagine if all that content, all that writing, all that creativity was centered around some little small business. Um, right. And if you think about it, the industry does this all the time. Like, for instance, with Harry mm-hmm. Potter, what did they do? Once the books came out, they created Harry Potter World, a business. Mm-hmm. They made Harry Potter action figures, made Harry Potter coloring books, Harry Potter everything. Well, what mm-hmm. if you flipped that on its head? What if you did it the other way around? What if you took a business that had very little or very local notoriety and then created a huge story, a, a, a novel about it? Maybe you, wow. could, maybe you could go the other way around. Maybe you could have had Harry Potter world before you had Harry Potter the story. Well, we're going to mm-hmm. see if that works. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So – you know, walk me through how a business, let's see, let's, let's pick a business, um, a business that sells insurance. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, that's not the most sexy thing in the world. We all need it. You know, all those good things, but say they sell auto insurance. How can that person use your philosophy to really start promoting their business? Well, I would say the first thing is you got to realize is what are you going to do to differentiate yourself? Cause one of the first things about okay. storytelling is differentiation from, what the mental image or mental concept immediately emerges when you hear the word insurance. So if you really mm-hmm. want to think about it, what does somebody think of when they think of insurance? Like they think of, I don't know, accountants, boring right. numbers, boring. something mm-hmm. you don't, maybe don't need, 
or a tragedy. Or, or yeah, you know, you think of oh my gosh, you know, a car wreck. However, uh, to use your analogy, look at Geico. I mean, Geico is a right. fabulous example of a company that is using humor to differentiate mm-hmm. themselves. Because right. when you think of Geico, you almost don't think of insurance anymore. You think of funny. You think of that mm-hmm. funny video that you saw. You think of that funny commercial. Well, they're, mm-hmm. what they're doing is they're reframing, reshaping the mental conceptual image that you get when you think of that product. Well, mm-hmm. we wanted to do something very similar to that. So whether you were a, a plumber or a, a cable company or a sandwich shop, whatever you may be, you can always think of a new way to frame your product so that you're certainly going to be differentiated from other companies. So, right. you know, so, so let's just theoretically say you know, you're a soup company and you want to sell soup. Uh, at the end of the day, people are going to buy your soup on a shelf at a supermarket. Well, they're going to walk up and they're going to see a, a, a bunch of soup cans on a shelf. And ha- mm-hmm. they can't eat it. They can't taste it. They can't even open the right. can. The only thing they have to go on is your branding or what they mm-hmm. see on that can. So the very first thing is how are you going to get them to pick your can up? from all those other ones and actually even Mm -hmm. look at the writing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What's going to make them even bother to do that? So, you know, Mm -hmm. that's where the branding and storytelling can come in. It's, it's to get you a second look to, to get people interested enough, excited enough to say, huh, this is different, you know, and pick you up, which is why a lot of brands use well-known movies you know you see a bunch right. of see one with a picture of minions on it they're betting mm-hmm. that you're going to say oh minions i liked that movie what's this soup it really right. doesn't make a lot of rational sense but, but it hits no. an emotional trigger deep down inside and it says i liked that movie so i'm going to give this soup special attention that mm-hmm. is how storytelling is implemented first. That's the very first thing that it allows you to do is, is, is immediately access that part of the customer's mind that already likes a certain thing. And then now you're combining that with you. Right. You know, and, and a great example right now, you know, we're getting ready to go into the Christmas season as, as we're doing this program is Wells Fargo, who has had, you know, taken a bit of a PR hit and an image hit in the the last couple of weeks and months um, for, you know, a variety of reasons. But they've got this great commercial. Actually, it's several commercials where it's the old stagecoach mm-hmm. because Wells Fargo is, of course, associated with the stagecoach. But, you know, they, they the, the horses interact with snowmen and you know they've got another one where they're delivering packages and you know so it it's you you watch the commercials and you go ah you know and and you forget that you know there were bad things that happened with wells fargo so that's you know that is really where a lot of the storytelling comes in you know just delivering packages and having a horse interact with a snowman you know it has nothing to do with their business it has nothing it has power and the reason it right. ha- and it made you go oh well what you're doing is you're associating the brand with happy comfortable homey feelings you're what you're right. doing is you're combining an emotion with what would normally mm-hmm. be something devoid of emotion so it's certainly right. not 
uh, worthless, maybe in a completely rational mathematical way, it doesn't really add value to the product in any way. But we're not trying to add value when you're doing advertising. Right. You're trying to get eyeballs and you're trying to elongate the length of time that they're willing to look at you. So in that mm -hmm. regard, it's a very powerful combination. Right. And of course, one of the probably the kings of telling stories that, that really suck you in would be Budweiser. Um, you know, and, and we, you know, we all love those commercials when the, oh, when the little puppy gets lost and the horse, oh, you know, or that the handler sees the horse after he's, you know, I mean, we all just dissolve in these little puddles of ooing goo. And, you know, is it going to make you buy more beer? Well, you know, when you're standing there looking at 500 choices, you're going to remember that little puddle of goo that you became, and you might actually reach for right. And also, the other thing is habitual. P people, once they right. start using a brand, and they like generally what they have when they buy that brand, mm -hmm. there's kind of a reluctance to change, not because they don't think anything else is better, but just because, you know, they know what to expect. They're there's no right. thinking involved. They know if they buy that mm -hmm. case of Budweiser, they know what it tastes like. They know that they're going to probably like it. If they pick that other one, you know, there's, there's uncertainty. There's, maybe it'll be good, mm -hmm. maybe it'll be better, but chances are the fear of losing what you already know is more compelling than the, than the, 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 the possibility of getting something better. So they'll stick with what they know. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's where companies fall down and, and have problems is when they tinker with that. Now, you know, we, we all see the new and improved and we're like, okay, well, improved is, you know, we, we kind of like that. Even if we like that product, if it's improved, okay, sure. But when they really tinker, I mean, you know, uh, the, the image that came to mind was new mm -hmm. Coke. That was a disastrous experiment. You know, people really liked old Coke and, you know, and, and then when they switched, it was, you know, it was like, what the heck? Um, you know, and, and because we, it's like you said, we, we loved Coke. And then when they decided that they were going to change that, it was like, oh, no, eh. Um, you know, and, and I don't, I don't even think that experiment lasted six months. You know, Coke realized very quickly, bad, bad, go back to the original. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're talking about like very large, uh, corporate identities and huge companies, but you know, that, that kind of thing can really also work on a very small level too. I mean, uh, you know, right. when you're introducing yourself or at a chamber of commerce meeting or, you know, at a networking event or something like that, if people already have a concept of what you are, and you're different mm -hmm. than that. You do run a risk of automatically getting that negative, you know, uh, that shield, that armor that they're going to put up mm -hmm. because they right. they instinctively want you to match up with what was in their mind. Um, mm -hmm. And that's another way storytelling obviously can be used as a method to to use a, a political analogy is spin the narrative. You know, when you're a business person, yes. you are creating a narrative at all times. And if your opponents or your competitors are doing the same thing, you have competing narratives. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're very small, you know, you may not have that much of a competition that way. Uh, so you have a, a free open space to create the only narrative. And that's where mm -hmm. small business usually has a good advantage in that way, because you're creating something from a vacuum. Right. And you have to do it quickly, especially if you have changed, you know, because people are, you know, they're, like you said, they're used to seeing you in that role. And so, you know, you've, you've got to get that new narrative going very quickly for them to think, okay, well, you used to do this, but now you do this. 
And and you really want them to forget the used to do's because, you know, that's that's where it gets really tricky. Oh, you know, I'm sorry you cut out a little bit there for a second. I oh. didn't hear the ending. <laughs> um, you know, it gets tricky because, you know, people are um, you know, when when we've got the used to do's and now you do something new, we have to create that new story and get them to buy into it very quickly because we don't want them still thinking, well, hey, don't don't you sell insurance, but now you you do this, you know, it's and and that's where it's really difficult for an entrepreneur who is trying several different things or having to do several different things at, at the same time. Um, you know, one of the questions I get from people is, I've got two jobs, you know, and and I do this and I do this. How and and well, one of them, you know, good example. Person asked me. He said, you know, I sell insurance, and on the weekends I'm a landscaper, mm. and he has to do that to to pay right. his bills. And so he said, how on earth do I promote it? And so my suggestion to him was LinkedIn was where he wanted to promote insurance, and Facebook was where he wanted to promote landscaping. And I said, but it's still going to be complicated because people will associate you with one or the other. And and they don't get that that you do both. Well, you know that's a, that's a situation where I think the most logical thing would be is to, to create a separate identity, for lack of a better word. Yes. I mean, because there's no reason yeah. they need to mingle. Uh, the, the, I mean, <laughs> yes. At the end of the day, if you have a client that you do landscaping for, and that you know you get to know them on a personal level, you can say, hey, you know what, I also do insurance. But a lot of times, right. though, something like that, the appearance of someone doing jack of all trades or doing multiple things. Mm -hmm. Usually, I believe is indicates a, a certain degree of weakness, and the reason why right. is because well, if you're highly successful in your chosen specialized field, why is it necessary for you to do more than one thing? That's the mm -hmm. emotional mindset. Now, everybody has to right. live in the real world at the end of the day, and sometimes what we love to do doesn't make all the money, me included. Yeah, we have to. That pay those being bills. said, you're you're telling a story, you're telling a narrative, mm -hmm. you're. Spinning a certain mythology about yourself, and if you spread yourself too thin and have mixed messaging, you're probably doing yourself a disservice. I'd recommend right. creating two separate identities. Mm -hmm. Well, and and you can do that as easy as just having two different company yeah. names, you know, so that you're not saying, "Hi, I'm Deb, and I do." You know, it can be, "Hi, I'm Business X, and I do," or "Hi, I'm Business Y, and I do." Yeah. Exactly. That that would be my recommendation on that front. Right. You know, and and for the people who hand out multiple business cards, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, that gets really confusing. And and I've been to more than one networking event where someone has handed me two and sometimes three or four business cards and said, "Here's everything that I do." And you're right. My very first impression is they can't do any of it well. well. Right. Or, or they or undercapitalized, or for whatever the reasons may be, they're having to mm -hmm. do all these different things. And, and, you know, there's just an instinctive concept that if you, you know, people should target and specialize and do one thing great. Uh, I mean, we've right. even had that in the theater. I mean, we have multiple different products, even if they're all entertainment mm -hmm. related. But there's been times where we tried to do uh, children's birthday party characters. You know, and, mm -hmm. you know, we, we tried to get into that market, but it just wasn't for us. And there was other people that could do it right. way, way better and cheaper. But for mm -hmm. us, it just wasn't the right fit, even though it kind of seemed like it would be something that we could do. We eventually just mm -hmm. eliminated that because it was we were spinning our wheels there and we were wasting resources, time and energy on something that we weren't. We couldn't right. compete. We right. couldn't compete with those other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and it was important to note that while you were rehearsing the children's stuff, 
your murder mystery performances weren't being be rehearsed. And, you know, so that's that's kind of the biggie is, you know, you have to focus on what you do best. Yeah, I mean, there's always room for some little bit of flexibility there. But you're right. But there is a point where you got to say, you know what, this is is certainly not a very strong revenue stream for us, uh, you know, but we're mm-hmm. putting but but it's not working. So we're naturally putting all the energy where it's not working, whereas right. it's somewhat counterintuitive. That businesses have to learn that you, you actually the strong should be strengthened and the weak should die. That's mm-hmm. ultimately what you realize is like, wait a minute, what's really working? That's what we should put all our energy on, not the things that aren't. I mean, there is a certain point in a gestation period of a new product where you have to get it out of its infancy to, to let it walk on its own for a while. Right. But beyond that, after a while, especially after a year or so, you should be able to look back and say, wait a minute, you know, we've been trying this for some time and it's just not uh, catching. Uh, it, it needs mm-hmm. to be killed. Yes. You know, or you know, maybe it needs to be modified. I mean, you know, it still might be a good idea, but, but businesses also have to look at what they're doing well and always make sure that they're updating and improving mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, because the the market changes and just because you were the top dog on the block now doesn't mean you will be later. I mean, you know, a great example is social media. Hello, see, got that back in there again with that little bitty company called Google who really tried to get multiple times into social media and compete against Facebook, you know, and, and Google just couldn't do it. And they finally realized this is stupid. We're going to stop putting resources toward it. But at some point, there's going to become true actual competition for Facebook. And, you know, which is why they have added video, why they have, you know, made all of the changes that they do. Some of them work, some of them didn't. But they're continuing to, to improve on what they do. You know, like, the, didn't they do like a Facebook phone well, or some strange thing like that, which was a disaster because it wasn't their market. Well, I mean, like, like Facebook has arrived at that happy life cycle for them where they've become a standard. So they become an yes. institution. So they they become a verb and a well, noun. Well, it's not just a marketing thing; it's an actual structural thing. I mean, just like for instance, mm-hmm. Windows. You know, the, everybody knows that. Are there other operating systems? Certainly. Uh, obviously, Apple is a big one that everybody knows. The fact of the matter mm-hmm. is, though, is people when they know the Windows operating system, uh, even the new versions or whatever, they're just not interested. It serves their needs enough that they're just not interested in saying, you know what, I'm going to learn an, an entirely new platform. It's not right. worth their time. So they, so the, mm-hmm. that's one of those things where Facebook is, is you know, there may very well be a new social media thing that come out, and there are little ones, but you know, they're all little small ones that just do one little tiny thing really, really well. But people aren't going to probably abandon Facebook anytime soon because right. why? You know, no one wants to mm-hmm. learn that again. Well, and of course, what happens with the big companies, whether it's Microsoft buying LinkedIn or Facebook buying, you know, other other components is they figured out, OK, that that is something that is a good product. So rather than try to compete, let's just buy it. Well, you're right. Yeah, you can go that right. You know, and 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 it's funny, I, you know, many years ago, I worked for a very large insurance company and and they were one of the, the biggest in the, the world. And we were doing a lot of printing. We were doing a lot of outsourcing our printing. Somebody finally looked at it and went, this is costing us a heck of a lot of money. 
And so they just bought the print shop. I mean, it was the funniest thing in the world and, and completely made it in-house. That's all they did was print stuff for the company. And, you know, they, they left the management in place. They figured, you know, those people knew what they were doing. So they just kind of sucked it in and thought, you know, we, we don't need to outsource right. anymore. And, and, you know, but if they had thought, ooh, gee, let's go into the printing business, it would have probably been a dismal failure um, because that wasn't, you know, a, a resource that they had and certainly wasn't a knowledge base that they had. Uh, certainly. Yeah, I definitely agree. Stick with what you know. Yeah. You know, and, and again, tweak it where it needs tweaked, but stay with what you know. So speaking of that, I want to talk about how did you decide, you know, why did you launch your company? Um, you know, obviously you're an entertainer. You're gonna have to do some different voices for us at some point. Um, but, but you decided on, you know, a traveling troupe as opposed to, you know, let's, let's form a theater in, you know, and, and you mentioned the fact that that way you can take it to different areas and things, but, why did you think, hey, this is a great idea? Well, I would say in the very, very beginning, I was in my 20s, I really wanted to do something on my own. Uh-huh. I had worked at several theaters over the years and um, never felt like I was able to have the kind of creative um, say that I really I, – okay. I, I wanted to do shows a certain way. And you know, when you're working for somebody else, you, you don't get your mm-hmm. way. You know, At the end of the day, you, you have to you – know, you can persuade up to a certain point and then you have to just you know, do what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably the same feeling that a lot of entrepreneurs have when they start is the desire right. to, uh, self-actualize, to do something that you really mm-hmm. want to do and make it real. So that, that was obviously mm-hmm. a major component. The next thing is, is honestly, I really felt that I could do it better. I really felt that okay. I could fill a need, uh, where there were people out there that really wanted to see certain types of entertainment, but that, that just mm-hmm. wasn't there for them. It just wasn't a niche mm-hmm. that they could get. Um, like when I was in my twenties, uh, at that time in the, the, um, late nineties, early two thousands, theater was kind of of two types. There was very, very high brow theater in the cities that was like, the, right. It was very, you know, you know, and that kind of theater was like, you know, you're going to see a Broadway show. You're going to go right. see, you know, for a hundred dollars, you're going to go so, see something in the Walnut street theater in Philly or these big, big theaters. And then there was mm-hmm. these small little avant-garde black box type theaters, which were usually in some way, shape, or form had some kind of political agenda, or they were they were trying to teach some kind of life lesson, you know, you mm-hmm. know, like you know, people with AIDS in the inner city or something like that. And the fact of the matter is, is although that might be very noble, there's a lot of people that just want to go see a fun show and have a good time. Right. They don't really want to mm-hmm. be preached to, lectured to, mm-hmm. manipulated, forced to confront social ills. They they just want to go and have a god darn good right. time, you know. So right. that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to create uh something that we could take to restaurants, dinner theater, uh, you know, uh bank of facilities, you know, pretty much anywhere where you had a room big enough and uh and 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 perform right there in front of people that, you know, already go out to the local restaurant already go mm-hmm. out to their local pub, you know, for dinner. Um, so that was really the impetus is to be able to do fun, experimental, interactive theater where people already were, as opposed to trying to get everybody to come to where we were. Right. Do you write your own program? Well, it's actually a lot of the shows that we do are highly improvisational. We have a framework 
for the show. Okay. But then we have really talented, fun, uh, improv-trained actors that we get, and mm-hmm. they create a lot of the content, too. I mean, so, you know, we experiment, we do workshopping, we rehearse the shows, and, you know, the more shows we do, you know, you try a joke a couple times, you try a, a bit, and if it doesn't get that many laughs, you cut it. And sometimes right. people come up with new funny things, and if they get consistent laughs, we keep it. So the shows are mm-hmm. constantly organically evolving. Cool. You know, and, and, and I love that because you can adapt it to your audience, you know, and, and, or your location or all of those various things. And you're not worrying about, oh my gosh, that's not the way the script was written. That's, that's the diametric opposite of how we work. We, there is really no scriptural loyalty, uh, that much. I mean, it's, it's really like, for instance, if we're going to do a show, um, for, you know, seniors, all of a sudden we Mm -hmm. start doing jokes that we really don't do that often, except when we do senior shows, We'll start right. throwing Bing Crosby jokes out there and Frank Sinatra jokes out mm-hmm. there or, you know, jokes that will resonate with them, things that they know about, content that they respond to and can, um, you know, react to. But if you do a show, you know, for a school, all of a sudden now that flips around, depending on the age group. Now, now all of a sudden we're doing SpongeBob references and Dora the Explorer jokes. And uh, so, so, you know. The platform is similar. It's just that the content is shifted and bent to appeal to the group. Wow. So you have to really stay on top of trends and and like you said you know so many different mediums you know somebody could do a door that you know i don't have kids so if they did you know i i couldn't even think of something that would be a spongebob thing and you know and 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 it's funny the other day i heard someone that was doing some lines from you know ricky ricardo and and lucy i got it but you know other people went uh-huh why did he all of a sudden have a funny accent and talk about lucy i'm home and you know because they're like but there's not a lucy in the program and and um you know it was it, so it's it's got to be very fascinating for you to really have to keep up on all well you know things. a lot of it is spontaneity too i mean when you're on stage and you're doing your show you know you tend to kind of be hypersensitive to free association so you know, if somebody right. happens to be wearing a funny shirt or a funny hat or looks like a celebrity or something, you might say, you know, like, oh, look, ladies and gentlemen, it's, you know, uh, Alicia Keys or look, ladies and gentlemen, it's, mm-hmm. you know, Kanye West or whatever. You know, you're just mm-hmm. thinking of references that this person might look like. Uh, you know, right. So so some of it is very spontaneous, spontaneous and it comes to you in the instant. So that's why mm-hmm. improv is so much fun, because you have the freedom to jump on opportunities as they arise but you're still right. safe in that you have a basic framework of a show. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you go off on a limb and it doesn't work, you go right back to the script. Right, right. So now you, you mentioned that your actors are improv trained. You know, how many actors are in your troupe and do you hold auditions and, and all that good stuff? Yeah, we're pretty much always kind of auditioning. You know, acting is very transient, you know, so we'll get some folks that right. we'll do a season and then go off and do something else. Um, but we do have mm-hmm. a few regulars that, that have stayed with us. Some of mm-hmm. us for very long. We have a, a one actor named uh, Woody, uh, <laughs> and he's uh, getting up there, and he's been with us since like 2001. You know, so he's been mm-hmm. doing shows for a very long time. Uh, we have a lot of actors that have been around for a, for a long time. Um, and sometimes they take a break or sometimes they come back. Uh, I would say we have probably about maybe eight really strong people that that are doing shows 
very often, like on a weekly basis. And then we might mm -hmm. have an extended 10 people that are kind of on the bench that, you know, that that'll come right. and do a show here and there, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and, and obviously it depends on the need, you know, you, you might need that character that they can do and in something else you don't. Yeah. And also we're seasonal. So we tend to be very strong in the fall, a little quieter in the summer and also a little bit busy in the spring. So depending on the season, we have greater demand. Mm hmm. Well, and you know, this this all just fascinates me because, you know, like I said, I was one of those one of those people that, you know, acted <clears throat> um, when I was in high school and in college. And, you know, we had a lot of fun with it. And, you know, clearly I was, you know, it, that was the level I was at. I was not going any higher. You know, it was clear to me I wasn't going to go any higher. And that was perfectly fine. But I, you know, I have a younger cousin who is actually studying in Chicago at Second City. And, you know, it's it's amazing that, you know, for one of the things, they also are making him learn business because they said, you know, so many people get taken advantage of by managers and, 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 you know, you have to be able to read a contract and maybe you do want to start your own business and, and all of those things. So it's been interesting then to kind of watch how the, the, the evolution of, you know, how things are changing for actors and, and, you know, the fact that yes, they do have to know business and, you know, and they're, you know, back to what we were saying before, they're promoting themselves and all those various things. And that's, that's been very interesting to watch. Well, yeah. I mean, for actors, especially actors uh, that are really trying to make a living as being an actor, mm -hmm. uh, obviously it's, um, you know, it's, it's discouraging because it's really a billion to one. I mean, it's really, uh, right. I, I don't think I've ever in all my years ever seen an actor that really didn't have to have another job but but just acting it's just so right it's just, just not enough business out there you know uh the mm -hmm. other thing is is you know, in a way as an actor you're your own business you know you're your own one person mm -hmm. business um and every time you get a gig you know you do it for a month or two a couple months and then you're out looking for another gig and you can only do one right. gig at a time you know you can't you're not mm -hmm. like a soup company you're going to make a lot of you have one unique product you and you can only use mm -hmm. it once at a time so from a business standpoint it's like a bad business <laughs> because right, right. you know like us we can do multiple shows and we can do multiple locations all simultaneously to a point but if mm -hmm. you're just an actor you really you know you you can only do a show uh at one at a time and it's hard to do multiple things simultaneously because you'll they'll compete for the time you can't be in two places at the same time so you're right it's important mm -hmm. to try to learn business as an actor but it, it's it's really tough which is why most people tend to have a career in something else and then do the acting on the side right. for fun that's mm -hmm. mostly what right, you yeah. see yeah, you know, and, and like you said, they do one show here, they do one show there. Um, you know, the the actors that I know, that's what they do. Um, you know, and and some of them are members of of SAG, all those various things. So that does give them different opportunities. You know, when they're especially when they're in union uh, towns and and things like that. But but yeah, it's it's something that is so interesting is that you know we we were talking about it before. They have multiple jobs, you know, and, and entrepreneurs sometimes have to have multiple jobs to pay all the bills. Oh, definitely. That's true. So, you know, kind of along those same lines, how can an entrepreneur use the lessons of acting to really propel their success? Well, um, you know, if you take the lessons, I mean, I have always thought the reason why we have been able to grow and become so successful is not just because – because of the fact that we do great shows, but it's also because me as an individual, as an actor myself, 
have been able to leverage those skills in my sales efforts. So most okay. entrepreneurs, when you first start off, you probably aren't going to have a sales team. You know, you're not going to have a marketing department. So at the end right. of the day, it's you. You're running around out there with your business card or your brochure, and you're peddling your wares. Yeah, so mm -hmm. in that circumstance, you're a one-person sales team. So you can't afford, if you're an entrepreneur, to be an entrepreneur and a bad salesperson. You know, uh, unless you just right. came out with a brand new drug that 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 the only way to solve a, a disease is to take that pill, you're probably not right. going to survive because the fact of the matter is, is you can't get the word out. So you have mm -hmm. to go out there knocking on doors, making cold calls, uh, you know, visiting businesses. Uh, you know, so in order to do that effectively, you need to be a good salesperson. You need to have all the skills that a good salesperson needs to have, which is control mm -hmm. your voice, you know, having good speaking skills, having a strong presence, right. knowing how to, you know, walk up in front of a bunch of people and become the center of attention for a while, you know, know how to how to be persuasive without being annoying, know how to get attention mm -hmm. without becoming abrasive, all these kinds of skills are things that people learn by being involved in theater because you, you're exposed to it moment after moment after moment. So right. I always would encourage someone, if you're a business person and you're trying to strengthen your business, you know, do a show or two, especially comedy mm -hmm. and especially improv because you're really forced mm -hmm. to, 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 to act on the spur of the moment. Right. You know, and, and it's funny because in a lot of ways, many business owners you know, and, and entrepreneurs are having to act, you know, maybe they're, like you said, they're, you know, they, they have to go in front of a group of people and maybe they're terribly shy. So for that moment, they're going to put on the persona of somebody who's not afraid, you know, and, and all those things. I always tell people one of the, the best things that they can do if they're really having trouble doing something like that is Toastmasters. You know, it's a great organization to, to teach you how to be doing some of those skills of presenting yourself and being confident and, and things like that. Well, the, the thing is, is believe it or not, most entrepreneurs, you know, uh, when you start off, I know not me, um, when I started off, I wasn't presented with opportunities to speak in front of a hundred people all the time. You know, that, that's just not what you, right. that's not your day to day activity, but you do run mm -hmm. into people on an individual level. You might walk in my mm -hmm. case, you know, I would go to bank facilities. I would go to restaurants and talk to the manager, talk to the owner. Hey, you know, would you be thinking about doing a Christmas show or uh, here's some fun mm -hmm. entertainment for your groups that you might have. It's a special event, get people interested. Well, you know, I'm not talking to a hundred people. I'm talking to one person. And right. so Toastmasters might be great, but that wouldn't be the first thing I'd suggest. I would suggest if you're trying to tr bone yourself up on your personal presence and personal magnetism, mm -hmm. that's where you want to do something like an improv group because okay. you're having to think spur of the moment with a strong presence right among a few people. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, traditional theater People that are on a big stage in front of a thousand people on a, on a, you know, far away from their audience, they tend to be able to, you know, work fine that way. But there's a, there's a little bit of protection. You know, when, when you're doing right. the music man and you're one actor among 20 on the stage, mm -hmm. you, it's not required for you to be bigger than life. You're, you're more of right. a cog in a machine and have to learn how to work well mm -hmm. Uh, in that environment. But as an entrepreneur, you're not a cog in a, in a greater machine. You you're the have lead. to be the lead. So you mm -hmm. have to dominate. 
And, you know, so being in a community theater show where you're one among hundreds is 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 going to be a good beginning. But you really right. quickly want to find a way to be the star because otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to learn the skills necessary to hold people's attention. Mm-hmm. Well, and of course, we've all seen it where we've gone in, you know, maybe even we've done it ourselves. Not you. I know that you're, you know, but but, you know, and, and yeah, I'm pretty out there and you know, mm-hmm. usually not afraid of anything. So I don't typically have problems with this, but maybe it's a brand new networking group. Never been there. Don't know anybody that can get intimidating, you know, and, and so you do have to stop and really think, how am I going to do this? Um, you know, and, and, but, but we've all gone to networking events where the person comes up and they kind of give you the little handshake and they don't make eye contact. And, you know, you ask them what they do and they, oh, what the <laughs> you know, and, and doesn't matter what product or service they're selling. I'm probably not going to do business with them just because of how they came across in that initial 30 seconds. Right. I mean, Honestly, you know, we do a lot of these trade shows. Here's a, here's a good real world example, and I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners do this. You might do a trade show or a, a town fair or be at some kind of event where you're setting up a little table and everybody has their little mm-hmm. tchotchkes out, their pens with their name on it and that kind of thing. And everybody's been to these and you know, you'll walk to a table to table and usually the companies, you'll see a bunch of banks, you know, like TD Bank or P&T right. Bank. And they mm-hmm. just have some teenager sitting there that's just getting paid seven bucks or whatever. And they just right. the hand they out don't the pen. care. You know, they're right. just sitting there so that nobody walks over and steals the pens. But the fact of the matter is, is it there's no it's effectively having no presence at all. You'll walk right. by and and they'll smile at you, but they really don't want to talk to you because they really don't know what the bank does, you know. Mm-hmm. And heaven forbid you ask right. them a but question. But then you'll walk over to say another group where it, you know, say another little company that uh, maybe they sell hoagies, you know, and they have little samples there, and it's their business. So you see this guy there or this woman that's like, oh, you know, you got to try our stuff, you know, it's great here, have a taste, mm-hmm. and and they'll want to, you know. Uh, you know, shoot the breeze with you and talk to you. They're just so much more engaging. That's right. really the difference. People that have all their skin in the game and really know what they're doing, they're just naturally going to be more fun to talk to and more approachable mm-hmm. than just some corporate thing, you know? Right. So, right. That's and, and we have to bring that passion, you know, especially as an entrepreneur. Hopefully we started the business because we had a passion for it. And not just to pay the bills. And, you know, we have to always bring that passion. Yep. I mean, so you you have to remember why it is you do what you do, what it is you love about it. But, you know, again, you know, you can have a great product. You can be a great businessman or a great businesswoman or whatever. And the fact of the matter is, is though, if you are meek or mild or just a, just don't have a strong presence, the reality is, is you're at a terrible disadvantage. A right. terrible, terrible hamstring because at the end of the day, you, you know, if you unless you have a lot of money to spend on a lot of advertising, you're you're just going to be terribly hamstrung because you, people are just not right. compelled to walk over to you. Mm-hmm. Right, and that is where acting lessons can can really help with that, and and maybe it is getting you out of your comfort zone, which is you know very scary for a lot of people. But if you want to be successful more than likely you've got to get out of that comfort zone. And people also buy on emotion. They, they, they buy the person they're talking to. So, 
you know, for instance, if you walk up to someone and say, hi, how are you doing? Would you like to fill out this survey, please? You know, everybody knows what they do in that circumstance. They try to avoid eye contact with that person. Right. They, they know they don't want to, and they do everything possible to avoid that person. If mm-hmm. you're, if that's you, you got a problem, you know, you right. don't want to be that. So you have to know how to approach somebody and approach them in a way that is disarming, that is entertaining, that is a, a, a engendering uh, them to speak back to you and, and getting into a conversation. Mm-hmm. And then you can offhandedly mention, oh, by the way, you know, and this is what we do, you know, they'll be much more likely right. to continue the conversation if you have these basic person skills. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes it is a matter of having something, and, and I hesitate to say a prop, but something that, that makes you memorable. There's a, a woman here in Atlanta who wears outlandish cowboy boots every single thing she goes to. You know, and, and so that's kind of, and, and but that's a conversation starter, you know, to be able to say, oh, wow, you know, look at those boots. Or, you know, somebody back in Denver that I know that does videos who is, you know, he's just one of those out there people. He's got this wild and crazy look, extremely professional, extremely knowledgeable about what he does. But that's kind of what gets people's attention to start with. And then, you know, they, they both of them go on to, to be very successful and, and to be able to tell you what they right. do. I mean, that's a great first step. And honestly, we do an exact same technique for that. When we, we go, I'm dressed up in my Clyde P. Riddlesbrood outfit. We have our purple hat. It's purple and gold. And we have a whole mm-hmm. outfit. So, I mean, you know, he's very – it's a very striking character. So when they see right. me out there – and um, so we use those same techniques as far as getting people's attention right away. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and as a business person, maybe it's, you know, something, obviously they're not going to go in a hat and cape and, and, you know, be selling you, you know, carpet cleaner, but you know, there, there are things that they can be doing to, to initially capture somebody's attention. Yeah. And, and it all depends upon the, the environment too. Like, uh, if you're, if you're new, you might have a hard time going up to place and saying, how you doing? I have a new carpet cleaning product. Would you be interested in buying it? A lot of people might not be interested in that, but this is why a lot of folks get involved in nonprofits and stuff like that, where they might they might right. be involved in a baseball team, and they they, they mm-hmm. come and give all the kids stuff in the baseball team, and and then the people just like this person, and then they find out that they do this service, and they naturally want right. to support this person who supported them through reciprocity by mm-hmm. by using their service or product. That's a very common right. approach. Oh yeah. You know, and, and I tell people, you know, one of the best things they can do is to get involved in nonprofits, you know, for obviously for altruistic reasons, but it gets you great experience. It gets you great exposure, all of those various things. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with, uh, you know, if your purpose is to get people, I've always felt that if you have a great product and you know that your product would really help people, you're doing a disservice only if you, if you don't sell it, you know, because you're depriving them of the knowledge of something that would really help them. So, you know, it's not manipulative mm-hmm. at all. It's actually, you're doing a good. Right. And, and if you don't believe in your own product, then why the heck right. are you out there? Well, trying then you got to gotta go back to the drawing board. Right. Right. And you know, if you were an entrepreneur, ugh, maybe it means that you're not an entrepreneur anymore. You know, you go back to work for corporate America or whatever, but you know, it comes back to what I said, passion. If you don't have passion for it, then you shouldn't be doing it. Yes, definitely. Well, not only should you not be doing it, but you probably won't succeed even if you try 
Unless you're right. just lucky enough to have some unbelievable gizmo that is just so desirable and necessary on its own. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are those flukes. You know, I've, I've mentioned this several times on my program. How on earth did they sell millions of pet yeah. rocks? Really? It's a rock. <laughs> we could all go out to our front yard and get our own pet rocks, but no, we spent money on them. Yeah, I mean, some people get lucky, but you, you know, that's not, you can't count on that. <laughs> well, and that is, you know, that's, that's a one in a billion thing, you know, and, and, and there really are no new products. You know, we all like to think that what we, we sell or, you know, whether it's a product or a service, that it is the greatest thing in the world, but more than likely, somebody else sells it or does it. And so it really is all about how you differentiate yourself. Exactly. You need to be bigger than life. You need to be worth people's attention, especially the world we're living in now. We're living in literally a bombardment every day of information, products, all kinds of things. People are tired and, and, and don't have the attention span. So, you know, unless you're the shiniest object, you're going to really have a hard time. You know, and, right. and also don't compete where everybody else is, you know, I mean, obviously mm -hmm. being having great search engine results is, is, is probably a massive important thing for, for, for almost any business. But at the end of the day, you're still competing in a rat race. So, you know, try to compete in places where not everybody is at, you know, mm -hmm. and, and then you'll notice you're going to pick up a few here, a few here, a few here, a few there. And, and that's how you start getting a lot of clients. I know. That's one of the reasons why we thought, uh, you know, marketing with, with the novel and the story uh, really helped us in certain ways because right. people might not care about theater, but they really like fantasy novels. So yes. they would read that mm -hmm. and they say, oh, this is really interesting. And then, oh, you know, I never mm -hmm. thought about going to see a show. Maybe I'll do that. So if right. you have a product, maybe the product isn't that interesting. <laughs> Nobody mm -hmm. wants to talk about rulers. Whether they're wood or metal, they just don't really care. Right. So, right. Yeah, but, but, you know, maybe they really like to talk about steampunk. Or maybe they really like mm -hmm. to talk about, you know, uh, Led Zeppelin music or whatever it is. You can, you can try to piggyback on that with your storytelling concepts. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it is about telling those stories and, you know, because whatever it is, you can probably craft a story around it or have somebody talk about it, you know, and, 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 you know, be creative. I mean, you know, a story about a ruler, eh, maybe not so much, but what did that ruler measure? Or maybe the ruler becomes animated. I mean, you know, there's, there's so many different things to think about that we need to, to put on our thinking caps. And, and I love that your book kind of encourages people to yeah, do that. Yeah, or it might not even be about the, the product. It could be about the, the founder, uh, you know, right. or it could be about the miraculous situation that led you to make rulers. I mean, the, the, I mean mm -hmm. a lot of people have a foundation story, and that's very common. Right. I mean, you see that all the time, especially after businesses have made it. Then they go back and mythologize mm -hmm. their origins. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, look at Apple. They were founded in a garage. <laughs> it's like, cool. You know, because you think of the company as being this big behemoth. How did it start? And they use that as part of their image. You know, they used to be the small guy, the everyday guy, all of those Yeah, well, I mean, everybody at one point or another started off as a small guy for the most part. Right. So, I mean, you know, uh, it's a very common story that you see a lot with businesses is the origin story. I mean, that's very common. Mm -hmm. It's almost a trope. Right, right. 
Well, Clyde, we've got just a couple minutes left. So tell us just some fun stories about things that have happened to you in the entertainment oh, world. Oh, boy. Uh, fun stories that have happened to me in the entertainment world. I, I'm, I'm assuming you're thinking from a sales perspective or? No, just, just a fun story. You know, fun, you know, things that have happened to you that were very unexpected or funny or, you know, all those various things. Well, um, you know, I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head. Um, oh, no. I put an in, now, hello, you said you're skilled in improv. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm just trying to think of a whole story that would both be interesting and fun, uh, you know, so, hmm. Well, um, you know, I, I have one that's interesting, you know, it's, uh, these are always kind of wacky, crazy things that happen on, on the way to shows. Um, but we had one not too long ago where uh, we were on our way to a private party, and um, mm-hmm. to make a long story short, one of the actors called me up last minute. And said, oh, my God, I got this wrong, something wrong with my car or something. And I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't, we can't, I can't make it. But I knew we still had three people, so I knew we could still make it through the show. So I was like, oh, you know, all right, right, well, what are you going to do? So we showed up at the show. We started setting up. And it was a small private party. And uh, as we're setting up, we noticed another person just isn't there yet. So we're like, "Uh oh, you know, we really, what's going on? So we, we. call this yeah. person and and they they say oh you know yeah i should be there real soon i'm i'm crossing the verrazano bridge now mm-hmm. i'm like the verrazano uh, bridge in new york i'm like he's like yeah come to find out he had some ridiculous address that he mistyped into his gps oh. and went two and a half hours out of his way he was nowhere <gasps> near where we were and wasn't going to be there by showtime. Traffic, right? He was stuck in New York traffic. He wasn't getting anywhere near. Mm-hmm. So now me, me and the other actor is sitting there going, oh, my God. We got two of us. And we got to figure this out. <laughs> you know? yeah. Meanwhile, there's 30 people out there eating. And we're like, oh, my God. You know, so, uh, you know, besides the fact, of course, that technically we're breaking our contract because we're supposed to have a certain amount of people and we don't. Mm -hmm. But the more pressing Mm -hmm. issue is how are we going to do this? We can't go out there and tell them, sorry. You know, this is right. So we sat down really quickly and said, well, here's what we can do. So we wrote up uh, a bunch of characters and we walked out in the audience and said, we're going to make these people in the audience characters and it was it was oh actually gosh. a gangster show we we uh-huh. wrote, wrote, wrote out a bunch of funny things like you know trixie and you know uh you know ricky the rat and a bunch of characters and and then we when we walked down the audience we made all these people characters you know and we gave them all questions so mm-hmm. what we were able to do is kill like about 15 minutes of time or 20 minutes of time <laughs> by improving and having them stand up and we would ask them a bunch of questions about their mob affiliations. And mm-hmm. and it, we got not only did we get through the show, but it was actually such an awesome thing. It worked so well. Now, oh, I bet they, they loved, loved it. it. We got lucky because it was a great audience. But the fact of the matter is, is we turned a negative into a positive, and it winded up being actually funnier than the show probably would have been. So, you know, mm-hmm. in a way we got we got out lucky. We got really lucky with that one because it could have been a, 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 a terrible situation. But they loved us. They gave us a great review. They didn't even realize the fact that we only had two people. 
you know, so we just got really, really lucky, but we made the lemon lemonade out of lemons and we just, we, we knocked our socks off. Uh, So I like to tell that story because, you know, it really does show how even under very difficult circumstances, if you keep your cool and turn your creative brain on, you could really still hit it out of the park. And then you turn around and have a great story to tell. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Well, holy cow, Clyde, we are at the top of the hour. So tell people how they find you online and how they buy your book. Sure. Well, if you know, if you have a private party or uh, you know, you have a special occasion, you know, we pretty much do anything. Uh, you know, weddings, bar mitzvahs, birthdays, family reunions, bankruptcies, foreclosures, pretty much anything. Give us- <laughs> You know, you want to celebrate that. Uh, Give us a call. We'd love to come and and we perform many different types of shows with many themes. So depending on Mm -hmm. your event, we have like pirates. We have like Victorian detectives. We have like a CSI cop drama. We have a Christmas show, a Halloween show, lots of different ones. Um, We would love to come and perform for you for any occasion. So if you're in the New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, Delaware, Maryland area, give us a call. But we also do some larger scale shows uh, farther away, uh, mostly for universities and colleges and schools. So uh, take a look at our web page, which is uh, riddlesbrood.com or our Facebook, um, which is also riddlesbrood. There's there's only one word riddlesbrood out there. So you'll find us really quickly when you search that. Great. Perfect. Perfect. And how do they get your book? Well, you can go take a look on, on Amazon. It's called The Greatest Brochure in the World. And I okay. don't want to say too much about it, but it's a very interesting, intriguing novel. So if you like Lovecraft or fantasy, you're going to really have a great time with that book. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I've been having a fantastic time talking with Clyde Riddlesbrood about how to turn acting into promoting your business and, you know, all sorts of things like that. And until next time, everyone, have a great week. Thanks for listening to Deb Career, your social media friend. Tune in next time to listen to more great tips, techniques, and trends for using social media. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.